to another session of Doc Bites, podcast to empower you with information from specialists in medical auditing, billing, coding, compliance, and documentation. Now here's the host of Doc Bites, Sharon Easterling. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of our Doc Bites podcast. You know, we are very fortunate today to have a veteran professional in the field of CDI and coding, and he is such a, has such a huge impact on our industry. So we have today Dr. James Kennedy of CDIMD. Well, hello, Dr. Kennedy, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's great to be with you today. Wonderful. So, you know, we are in some crazy times right now, Dr. Kennedy, but you know, we really appreciate you taking this opportunity out of your very busy schedule to talk to us a little bit about, you know, being a physician advisor, you know, what's going on currently in the industry, how COVID may be impacting things, and you know, what are some of the things that you see coming down the pike? But first, okay. I'd like to start off and talk about, you know, well, why did you become a physician advisor, Dr. Kennedy? Or let me back up for a second. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then move into that question? Well, thank you so much, Sharon. And again, it's great to be with you today. I, um, my story is like many people's story. It's not exactly what I thought I was going to do when I went to medical school. It was my vision when I attended the University of Tennessee, Memphis during the 70s that I would have a rural practice and primary care practice and, you know, and I would grow into that position and do that the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so I started practicing south of Nashville, a little town called Franklin, Tennessee, and back in the day, it was somewhat of a rural environment, suburban rural environment, and and started a solo practice. We ended up becoming a multi-specialty practice and practiced that for about 15 years until around 1998, I developed major depression. It was a very, very devastating uh, issue for me. Yeah. And and wasn't really aware of what was going on of things and but I crashed. I mean I literally crashed and had to be hospitalized for about five months. And that was um a real, real tragedy yeah. you know, for me. Even earned disability from two different companies. Um you know, so and what was discovered is that there was unknown post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, all sorts of dysfunctional issues, which many physicians now are calling burnout. Mm -hmm. But that can go in different uh, different ways. Some people kill themselves from overwork. Some people even literally kill themselves, mm -hmm. um, like the lady uh, that over was overwhelmed with COVID. Yeah. committed suicide, uh, yeah. but I made the decision to at least try to get to my root issues, and it became apparent to me that I could not go back to what I was doing. Uh, mm -hmm. There was almost no boundaries. You couldn't say no. Doctors right. were supposed to do, you know, you know the joke, the difference between a doctor and God. God doesn't think he's a doctor. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I was trying to be everything to everybody and just couldn't do it. So right. I developed a redirect. Of, mm -hmm. I had to redirect my career, of which I, it took two paths. One, The first path was I started being involved with hospital turnaround. So mm. this was hospitals that were financially struggling, um, went to L.A., um, you know, and worked with some of those hospitals, was even in the District of Columbia. Well, that was a change from Tennessee, oh, I'm sure. You betcha. You know, especially <laughs> down in the 8th Ward. 
uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, you know, the, the less wealthy, you know, the less wealthy parts of Washington and just trying to do that. But one thing that I discovered uh, was that um, what all of these people, all of these hospitals were struggling with cash. You know, if you don't have cash, you can't pay employees, you can't buy equipment, you can't do what you need to do. And I discovered, uh, I met a guy named Lamar Blount. Lamar mm. Blount uh, was part of a group called HIOB, H-I-O-B, in Atlanta. And HIOB had developed the DRG Assurance Program that ah. was subsequently sold to 3M. Yeah, and 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 Lamar taught me, introduced me to a guy named Bob Gold, Doctor oh, yeah. Gold, absolutely. And 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 Doc and Lamar had developed a knowledge of how DRGs work in a consulting business on that, and I just took to that like a duck and like duck takes the water. Because mm -hmm. my job when I was practicing was we were supporting the not-for-profit community hospital, you know, going against the titans of Vanderbilt, HCA, you know, the well-established oh, yeah. companies in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize, you know, when DRGs were 1984, were based upon the, the diagnoses that were written by the physician documented in I-10. And I didn't realize that there was a physician language and uh -huh. a coding language. Wow. And when Doctor and when Lamar showed me this and how it influenced the DRG, then that's when I said, "This is my new career." Wonderful. Because this was a way of taking my clinical knowledge. Because I was on the faculty at Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. um, I was able to take my clinical knowledge that, you know, my academic training as an internist, and then use it in a way to save, you know, rural hospitals that were being decimated by the Balanced Budget Act of 1997. Remember, mm -hmm. the time frame for this was 1999, 2000, right, you know, yeah. and the like. And that became, I learned DRGs. And I went to Lamar and I said, Lamar, how do I get really good at this? Uh -oh. And he said, go get your CCS. Um, and so... Because you'd I never started, heard of some of these organizations at that time, had you? No, I mean, I yeah. knew of the medical... It was AMRA back in the day, the American oh, yeah. Medical Record Association. Uh-huh, yeah. Or it used to be the medical librarians. Yeah, and I thought of medical records people only as the disciplinarians. You know, they had the rulers and you know, <laughs> slapped your knuckles if you didn't get your if you didn't get your records in, and uh -huh, the discharge service done, and all that, and coding. Every now and then, somebody asked me a coding question, but I said, "Well, yeah, we can do that." And you know, I thought nothing of it. I got no training at all on how wow. the DRG was constructed. Mm. And and so I said, okay, the best way, you know, it's like building a brick building. You know, you can conceptualize the building, but a building is only good as the bricks, mm. you know, that you put in the building and how you, you, you morph them together. And that's what I learned was ICD-10 coding was really the bricks. Mm -hmm. And 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 what was the question that Lamar asked me was define Eurosepsis for me. Okay, mm. and I gave him the look and said, Well, it's this really sick patient, you know, this septic patient due to a urinary tract infection. He goes, It's coded as a bladder infection. <laughs> and it goes into the bladder infection DRG. I was Lord, yeah. Because, because, you know, I was writing Eurosepsis all my life, and I thought everybody knew what it was. The doctors all knew what Eurosepsis was. Mm -hmm. Why but didn't everybody else? 
why couldn't the coders do it? Because the government right. said you can't. Yeah. And that became just a tremendously um, uh, that that was a lightning moment for me, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and really taught me that words matter. And and I could uh, and Dr. Gold then and I, you know, we would talk about coding theory, DRG theory, you know, documentation improvement, and the way I cut my teeth, which is the way I think any CDI should learn, is CDI should not learn just by going out on the floor after a couple of classes. The best way for a CDI to learn is to do pre-bill review. Because with, and to be given an encoder and to learn and to study why did the coder sequence this as a principle? What, yeah. you know, it gets to what was the principle that was assigned? Why did they code the procedure the way they did? What about the CCs and MCCs? And what are the, all right, so this is what the doctor wrote. Now, what could the doctor have said, you know, that's still clinically accurate, mm -hmm. uh, still clinically accurate, that could be said in the language that's required by the cooperating parties, AHIMA included, and, and then be able to get the right DRG that could be defended. Right. You know, as a, you know, if, challenged by an auditor okay well that's a powerful story dr kennedy i mean just hearing where you came from and then how you continue to develop you know i really appreciate you sharing that but continue well so my career has taken a lot of different steps of which there's been some rut rows because i just didn't really understand not just the theory of all this but the politics Mm -hmm. of CDI, okay? And there's tremendous politics yeah. because of the way, you know, the government is wanting to promise all this health care, but because we have budget constraints, they don't necessarily want to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And insurance companies don't make money paying claims, you know, so there's a tension. You know, there's these right. different tensions between physicians who want to take care of patients, but they do it the way they learned in medical school, versus a coder who represents the hospital, you mm -hmm. know, who has to have it in a certain way, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, the doctor, it'd be obvious. Well, I wrote that the patient had a, anemia due to a GI bleed, but mm -hmm. doctor, you didn't say acute blood loss anemia. And, yeah, and, you know, that's leading us a little, excuse me, um, but that's leading us a little bit into, you know, what we want to continue to talk about, what's problematic in CDI encoding. So you're speaking of it from the aspect of um, regulatory and operationally, right. um, and, you know, what what else are, are some of those things? Well, here's what the problem is, is that physicians have a language that we use to communicate with each other. We read about it in our literature, okay? It's a, you know, it's a language that we understand, but there's a different dialect that coders have to have in order to code the record and get the risk adjustment right. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, I'm from the South. We say here in the South, I'm fixing <laughs> to go somewhere. No, well, we've what never you, said what, that. What are, you, what are you repairing? <laughs> what are you repairing on the way, you know? Or we'll say, bless your heart. Or that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, we all know what bless your heart and that's nice means. Okay? Uh -huh. yeah. It's a nice way of saying, well, I don't like you. and Or I don't like what you did. And and so the the problem that we run into is, the difference in language, the requirement to be written a certain way, and the power that the government has, you know, with the False Claims Act, right. the Civil Monetary Penalties Act. Mm -hmm. And remember when I started doing this around 2000, HCA had just gotten busted, you know, with the billion-dollar penalty. Tenant got busted. 
quorum got busted. There's all these. Yeah, it was hot and heavy. And it was hot and heavy. The DOJ and the OIG and the MOUSE was after us. (laughs) Yes. And we weren't learning, though. We weren't learning yet, Dr. Kennedy. Yeah, and, 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 and even queries, even CDI was being castigated. Uh, Correct. You know, we're, we're Sue Prophet. She was Sue Prophet back in the day, not Sue mm-hmm. Bowman. She's Sue Bowman now. She was Sue Prophet back in the day. Mm-hmm. 2001, she wrote the first practice brief all by herself, mm-hmm. you know, which rescued, you know, the art of the query and defined what a leading query was and and all that. And so I just, it was all really, really, it was radioactive is probably the best way to put it because yeah. hospitals needed these DRGs mm-hmm. to be able to be profitable and to have what they needed to take care of patients. But on the other hand, there was the government who was willing to look at these a certain way, embarrass you, mm-hmm. you know, I heard stories of coders being FBI agents showing yeah. up in people's houses. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some stories about that coming in and just taking everything right. and your interviews and all that stuff. Yeah, pretty intense. Right. And it was scary, it you know, was. back in that day. And mm-hmm. so that's how I entered. Uh, and I've been learning how to code. I tease everybody. I've been learning how to code ever since. Because mm-hmm. the rule, not only the codes keep changing, but the risk adjustment methodologies change. It went from CMS DRGs to MS DRGs in 2007. Then there's the growth of the APR DRGs, you know, in the Medicaid population. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have hierarchical condition categories, the HCCs. Now we also have the the Medicare uh, mortality readmission measures, the, yeah. the Yale model, Alex Hauser, as it relates to uh, U.S. News and World Reports. You know, there's about 30 different models that we have to manage, mm-hmm. you know, with this. And uh, there's going to have – and st- so I've, I think that I'm still learning how to do this, but first and foremost, I'm still learning how to code. So I have the proper bricks in order to build my building. Oh, yeah. And, you know, those different models definitely are making it problematic. Um, You know, I think there are some um, simple things we can do, just like you're saying, you know, make sure that we have that good foundation, no matter how we're, you know, querying and working, you know, assigning codes hopefully we'll be able to meet many aspects of those various models. But that is something that, you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm sure many of our um, CFOs and uh, some of our other C-suite executives really worry about from a monetary standpoint. Well, I mean, no margin, no mission. Mm -hmm. You know, rural hospitals are closing. Uh, They don't have either the volume or the revenue you know, to do what they do. Um, there's still hospitals that are closing. Hahnemann closed in Philly. And I would say that a part of that was due to under-documentation, under-coding, mm-hmm. which the government was quite happy with. They got great care, you know, and the government didn't have to pay for it. Insurance companies didn't pay for it. Yeah. And it went broke. And lots of poor people lost access you know, to an institution that was taking care of them, which disrupted Philadelphia. So this is something, CDI is something that is essential uh, to the health and wealth, not only of the providers that take care of the patient, but for the patient too, so that they have a place to go, you know, that's operating in an efficient manner. And it's really uh, how we build this relationship is what I'm still working on and how we affect CDI in the proper mm-hmm. way has been my lifelong endeavor in this. Exactly. Cause you know, you're mentioning about some of our rural hospitals and 
you know, when you think about rural health and think about some CDI programs, um, you know, I, I say this lots of times when, when we start getting information on data, right? Um, so all these agencies, the government, they're, they're pulling all this data. Of course, they're doing some translations of data because things aren't getting coded exactly the way um, we might need them to. So we're pulling different aspects of that together to come up with what we think that population looks like. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, can working in those rural areas, are we seeing more CDI there, you think? You know, where we're telling the story better, especially with the pandemic impacts that we have now. Well, you know, pandemic has just thrown has thrown everything out, you know, has made everything tougher. Because we're now taking our eye off the ball to look at a coronavirus. But let's mm -hmm. get back to the fundamentals of CDI, because I think the fundamentals of CDI have to be thought through if somebody wants their CDI program to be successful. Mm. So let me give you a model, mm -hmm. Sharon, that I'd like for you to consider you know, when we talk about CDI. First of all, when I ask people, what is CDI? You know, so let me ask you, uh -oh. Sharon, I'm putting you on the spot right now. <laughs> what is your definition of CDI? Or what do you think other people's definitions of CDI is? Well, when I think of clinical documentation integrity, mm -hmm. And of course, that's a very big word. But I think about when a patient presents to the hospital that the information that is collected in the record is able to show what that patient's visit was about from a clinical and a financial standpoint. And, and you know, that's probably this big broad definition, I could go, well, CDI is just about improving the documentation um, of patients that come in the hospital by making sure that you have the best diagnosis possible to reflect their care. Um, so those are just a couple of different ways that you can look at it um, and tell the story. But let me know what you're, let me know what you're going to well, say. Here, here's, you my, here's my definition. Okay, go ahead. Clinical documentation integrity is the people, the processes, the technology, and the work well, that I... advocates clear, consistent, precise, non-conflicting, and clinically reliable documentation essential to the compliant assignment of HIPAA transaction sets. Well, I, I love that definition. Absolutely, because okay. it, it includes all the various aspects that are being touched. It's kind of like the strategic plan that AHIMA now has now, connecting systems, people, and ideas. Okay. And this is, CDI is promoted in the ICD-10 guidelines. Because if you read the front page of the guidelines, it talks mm -hmm. about the joint effort. The joint effort between the physician and the coder. It does. Mm -hmm. Because without the joint effort, without conversation that's bi-directional, okay, of how to translate bi-directional conversation mm -hmm. between two equally empowered individuals, mm. okay, to have a conversation necessary to get the documentation in the record in the language that the cooperating parties require, which may not be my language, you know, as a doctor. Right. But my language not, is not under HIPAA, whereas ICD-10 is. Okay, so there's a legal mandate. Uh-huh. Okay. So there has to be a joint effort to avoid or address, you know, inconsistent, incomplete, imprecise documentation. Well, are we doing that, Dr. Kennedy? 
you think for the most well, part? I think that there's there's some people that do it better than others. Mm, true. Because yeah. part of this too is that there's some limitations on the conversation because we can't lead, coders can't lead the physician. Right. Well, you know, let's say <laughs> that my wife went out drinking tonight, came home with alcohol on her breath. Am I going to play 20 questions with her or am I going to say, where were you at the bar last night? You know, and I was going to say, where you been? Where you? That's the opening. The non-leading question is, where you been? The the leading question is, you, you were you at the bar last night? You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm teasing when I say that, but but again, it it's a bi-directional, and here's another concept, you know, that we have to look at, is that hospitals and CDI is very much like a marriage between husbands and wives, Mm -hmm. of which the medical staff is the husband, Mm -hmm. the the coder who represents the hospital is the wife. And, and, And one of the things about the reason that people get married is that they're trying to, you know, they found a person that they can uh, can collaborate with, mutually enhance each other in order to create a perfect union. Now, not all of us are good at that, okay? But just like in CDI, the physician has a role that the coder can't do. Mm-hmm. The coder has a role that the physician can't do. Right. Okay, and what we're going to talk about is the seven Ds of CDI. Okay, so let's talk about what the doctor can do that the coder cannot do, okay? Mm -hmm. The doctor, the first thing the doctor has to do is define the condition, you know, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamental in CDI programs because we throw these words around but we're not agreeing on what the clinical indicators that support these words. Absolutely. So unless there's an agreement on what sepsis is. We get divorced. What is an agreement (laughs) on respiratory failure? Yeah. An agreement on malnutrition, okay? An agreement on what the language is Okay. Right. If the physician doesn't know what that the definitions of the words, he or she is going to be using slanguage or slop, mm. and or non-specific documentation that they can get by with, like altered mental status. Right. I can, you know, I can go to bar tonight and get my mental status altered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or oxygen dependent. Who isn't? <laughs> We're all oxygen dependent. <laughs> okay, or functional quadriplegia. What's mm-hmm. a functional quadriplegia? Now, don't mess with my HCCs, well, Dr. King. Well, I'm not <laughs> messing kidding. with you, but, but <laughs> there's no clinical literature anywhere on the planet that describes a functional quadriplegia. Uh-huh. So... Definitions are crucial. Diagnosis, if you know the definition, you, and you got to make the diagnosis, you got to say the patient has this, then it has to be documented in the record. Because if you don't write it, it wasn't done. I can put feathers, quacking, waddling, wet feet in the chart, but the coder can't code duck unless the doctor says duck. All right. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility of the physician. And that makes it very plain. And, and I think I've heard you say that before. Right. It's a very plain and very simple. Now, what does the coder have to do? The coder has three responsibilities that the doctor doesn't have. What are those? The first is that the coder has to decipher the record. Because mm-hmm. the doctor wrote down what he or she thought was sufficient, 
but it is the coder's responsibility to identify inconsistent, incomplete, imprecise, or clinically invalid documentation. And, and the coder can no longer hide behind, well, I'm not clinical, or we're not allowed to challenge physicians. That dog don't hunt anymore. Mm. Okay? That's part of I don't know if we're there yet, Dr. Kennedy. Uh, that's, a big, that's a big thing that HIM professionals need to up their game. That's, I, you know, I'm with you. And the coder, <laughs> or they need to get appropriate help, which is what the CDI exactly. department should be doing. Well, and okay. you mentioned this is bi-directional, right? So there has to be some type of comfort level there where yeah. you can have those conversations that are bi-directional, that has an educational aspect for both sides. Right. And that's, well, let me finish the seven Ds. The coder has to decipher. Mm -hmm. The coder has to delineate with the doctor. Either the coder has to do it in a manner that's non-leading or get an agent, which can be the clinical documentation specialist or the physician advisor if necessary, kind of like you may need a lawyer, you know, to go to a judge because most of us don't know how to talk to judges, but lawyers do, okay? And then the last thing the coder has to do is deploy the code using mm. correct conventions. Mm-hmm. I like that, deploy. Deploy. So the doctor has to define, diagnose, document. The coder has to decipher, delineate, deploy. Both sides have to defend. Yes, because absolutely. Not just the code itself, but the risk adjustment. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the cost efficiency metrics, the expected length of stay, the expected mortality, the expected readmission rate. Mm -hmm. You know, and all that, okay? And this, where the physician advisor comes in, is that a good physician advisor not only is strong clinically, you know, and can see the doctor's side, he or she can also see the coder's side and is a mutual coach, you know, for both sides. I love that. I, I wish we had more of that. And the strong CDI, okay, and HIM professionals can do this. I am a big believer of HIM professionals, you know, working in CDI. God bless America. They do the code. They query anyway. You know, why can't they, mm -hmm. you know, it's, a, it's all about the query. And the consistency of the query and the clinical congruence of the query and being able to communicate in a professional, mm -hmm. intelligent manner, okay? And as such, I think that, you know, is that that workflow, you know, that bi-directional uh, professional relationship, which has a mutual, which is mutually enhancing, okay? You know, we, mm -hmm. it builds all the risk models that we need for quality, cost efficiency. It funds the mission. You know, it's a, it's a, again, a rising tide that lifts all boats. Uh, yeah, I love those days. The best. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. of course, you know, now what I'm seeing in in CDI though is that ever since this all started, you know, with the the HIOBs, the 3Ms, the JATAs, you know, all these different approaches to CDI have been primarily query-oriented or what I call reactive CDI, okay, cleaning up the mess, mm -hmm. you know, before the bill gets dropped. Yeah. Where, where I, and this is something I wish a HEMA got would get, because I'm still haven't yet seen this come down from AHEMA, mm -hmm. okay? We talk about this in Actus, but AHEMA hasn't pushed this, and maybe I'm wrong, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
But we need to be going now to proactive CDI, of which the documentation infrastructure, you know, the, the foundations, the technologies, and such, promote the documentation up front where you minimize the need for the query. Okay? So, for example, uh, and I love surgeons. Just know I love them, okay? I don't want an internal medicine doctor fixing my knee, okay? But <laughs> surgeons tend to be constitutionally incapable of documenting more than the reason they're operating. Or they'll use mm -hmm. the language that I used, you know, during the 80s and 90s. An area of, of proactive CDI is building a documentation template that can be done by a nurse practitioner, anesthesiologist. Yeah. That builds, you know, that captures all the comorbidities. It's signed by a provider. It goes into the problem list. You know, and it's all done. Okay? And the template is built in the language that's still clinically congruent, but also can be coded, you know, in an I-10 environment. And I can say, Dr. Kennedy, I actually uh, did something today that I, I think AHIMA is trying to work towards doing, um, working with some other organizations on some different things related to templates and um, getting some of that information out there prior to. Um, well, that is a good point that you make. It would be good for you to reach out. Yeah. And, but now, AHIMA did write a practice brief. You know, I'd say two or three years ago, it was in JAHIMA, you know, which endorses this concept. The real, the rubber that's meeting the road, however, is 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 that it's getting really into the epics of the world, the cerners of the world. You know, where these are, these are, you know, where the doctors do their documentation in a way that's still physician friendly. And how we can somehow get the SOAP mentality out of the physicians' heads, since that's been taught to us since the 60s, you know, mm -hmm. the weed model, into what I call the APSO model, you know, with problem-oriented oh. charting. Yeah. You know, using the problem list as a cupboard, well, you might say. That's interesting, Dr. Kennedy, because I know a lot of folks still reference the SOAP when they're talking about how, you know, things probably should be documented. Um, so you you have different ideas there. Yeah, I think especially now with the, not only for risk adjustment and all that, but as you know, starting January 1, 2021, outpatient CPT mm -hmm. is going to be completely redesigned. Right. You're not going to need all those bullets of history. You're not going to need all those bullets of physical. It's right. going to be medical decision-making or time if it's coordination of care over 50%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be quantity of diagnoses, hint, how many ICD-10 codes, okay? It's right. going to be patient risk, you know, how severe were those codes, not just COPD, but COPD with exacerbation, okay? And, and then data review and coordinated with the physician's need to get the HCCs right. This is a phenomenal time to yeah, transition to diagnosis so that the diagnosis not only supports the CPT leveling, you know, level three, level four, level five, but it gets the HCCs right, or, or the hospital mortality readmission measures right, mm -hmm. and nobody can remember all, all the different models. Correct. I mean, there's thirty of them. Yeah. And so how? Well, and you can develop your own model if you're a part of an ACO or some type of automate, um, alternative payment model. You can make adjustments. No, those models are set by the government. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you okay. work with them to create your own models, well, your, your own, own diagnosis. Yeah. Maybe your own diagnosis structure, mm -hmm. but yes. you're still trying to get the HCCs right. You're still trying to get whatever, or like if it's Medicaid, you know, Medicaid uses CDPS. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or if it's a health plan, you're using the HHS HCCs. Correct. Which are a little bit different than the CMS HCCs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And, and most physicians, and now here's a real weakness that I think is going to happen, Sharon, is for many, many years in the EMR, the physician has done the selection of the diagnosis himself or herself. Right. Yeah. And that's what goes into the bill. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is the documentation in the record supporting Not always that right. code with the proper application of, of conventions, of index, table, guidelines, coding clinic? No, not all the time, Dr. Kennedy. It scares me. I just say, you know, I, some few years ago when I really started digging into the whole HCC component, and mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm scared to death. Our physicians are actually coding it. I don't, I don't know if people really realize the um, the impact there of what we could be reporting from that side. Yeah, well, um, that's not that supported. The, the RADVs are salivating. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and and the and the OIG is salivating mm -hmm. because there's going to be a ton of false claims. Just to let your listeners know, I helped co-edit the AMA's book on risk adjustment uh -oh. by Sherry Poe Bernard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was she, I, I I got credited for that, but I was in there challenging. You know, she had to put up with me for a long time, you know, and, well, you can't, you <laughs> can't do you. this, you can't do that, you know, type thing. And uh -huh. so um, so the, that, I think, is where CDI is coming into place, but it still goes back to the fundamentals. Definitions, Perfect. diagnosis, documentation, okay? Mm -hmm. And whoever is submitting that claim, mm -hmm. okay, has to follow these coding conventions. And that's where I think if there's a weakness in any of this, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say I'm about to blaspheme, okay? So uh -oh. let your listeners know that <laughs> let your listeners know if they want to take me out to the, you know, to you know, outside the city and stone me, they can go right ahead. We're going to have to loosen up a little bit on on some of this. Coders need to be given the ability to clinically interpret the record within reason, hmm. especially in the I-11 environment. If you've looked at I-11, granularity, mm -hmm. you know yes. that's in I-11. Phenomenal. You've named, you ain't seen nothing yet. No. Mm -mm. You know, when you've got codes now that could be 12 digits long and, and with the most infinitesimal granularity, if it is the desire of the United States to have an <laughs> accurate coding set that doesn't overburden the physician, Okay, remember, we can't burn out our doctors. Right. I need them taking care of patients, not playing yeah. a game. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. We're going to, and given that coders are professionals, intelligent, passionate people, okay, you know, with equal responsibility of, with the physicians to ensuring the integrity of the code, then it is my belief that there needs to be something put in place like certain clinical characteristics that would define anemia, you know, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the hematocrit's 15 and the doctor didn't say anemia, it is still accurate to report that the patient's anemic because the hematocrit was 15. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we're ways away from that, Dr. Kennedy. <laughs> I understand. And part of this, you know, before, I don't know if anybody knows Donna Wilson down in South Carolina. Of course well, I know Donna Wilson. Donna Wilson is my most favorite, favorite person. And God bless America. She's just wonderful. Isn't I she? remember when she went to the, they had the uh, AHEMA coding roundtable, I mean CDI roundtable in Washington. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in 2013, which I went to, and Donna was one of the speakers, and she talked about what life was like before coding clinic. You know, BC, before mm -hmm. coding clinic, BCC, below, mm -hmm. before coding clinic. Mm -hmm. They were doing assumption coding all day long. Yeah. You know, she'd see a low potassium, she'd put hypokalemia. She'd <laughs> Keep on going. Yeah. She just kept doing all that. It wasn't until DRGs came in and the cooperating yeah. parties were created and all of this and the coding clinic that they put in the documentation requirement because of the DRG system. Okay. Uh, yeah, coding used to be fun, actually. You could just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the thing that is, the thing that we've got to get to and again, this goes back to CDI, is that there has to be a reckoning of how much administrative burden, you know, I mean, if you look at all the money that we spend on CDI right now, and we still can't get it right, is, you know, I'm, if you, let's just say a CDI, let's just say the salary of a CDI is, a, you know, is 80 to 100K. Okay, mm -hmm. including benefits, including training, including, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, you know, to support a CDI. If you had to have one CDI per 2,000 admissions, I estimate that the administrative cost of CDI is about a billion dollars, you know, here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're still not getting the data right. Yeah, that's okay. an excellent point. So Sharon, I know I'm. I, I tend to be a little passionate about all this, and if your listeners want to stone me, you know I, that's fine. Maybe I'm wrong, but it it's still we got to figure out a way of making this easier on the physician, because the physician needs to get away from that computer. The physician needs to be spending time with their patients. They're supposed to be patient advocates. Their job is to you know, is to bend the natural history of COVID, of hypertension, of diabetes, the opioid epidemic, all of these problems that we have in our, even in the United States, how we bend the natural history of that. That is why doctors go to medical school. Wow. And, and it is my belief that we can figure out something that preserves the integrity of the coding system, prepares us for ICD-11, still tells the clinical truth, you know, of the patient, puts it in the databases so that mm -hmm. they can be appropriately mined, you know, and, and people get the money that they need, you know, to take care of patients and not profit from playing a game. Yeah, well, you know, I I was going to ask you about what, you know, are some of the top concerns for physician leaders in the Revenue Cycle 2020. You kind of already hit on those things. Yeah, um, what do you say? So here's what's coming down, okay, everybody needs to be aware of. Number one is that we're seeing an expansion of CDI coding into, into different models. Physicians now... If you're not part of a Medicare-approved alternative payment model, you're subject to the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, MIPS. And more and more of your work is going to be based upon HCC-driven cost efficiency. Okay? So mm -hmm. you could see your fee schedule, you know, being affected by that. Okay? okay. I think we're going to see more and more uh, readmission penalties, mortality penalties, you know, type things as part of value-based payments. 
you know that's growing. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that uh, we're, you know, for next year, it's not going to happen in fiscal year 2020, but in fiscal year 2021, there's going to be a comprehensive CCMCC redesign that Medicare mm -hmm. kicked the can down another year. Yeah, they're ready for that, aren't they? Well, it's, they weren't ready this year. Well, they want to do it. I mean, not ready, ready, but they want to do it inside. Well, they, they <laughs> talked about it last year. They, yeah. We, we dodged a boomerang. We did. And, but that boomerang came about but didn't hit us. Mm -hmm. So it's going to back again another year. I bet you when that proposed rule comes out next year in April, then that is going to be – that is going to have the effect on – coders and CDIs, much like MSDRGs did in 2007. Mm -hmm. Okay, and ICD-10, you know, when it came, and Lord knows when I-11 is going to come out, I-11-CM, um, and that, whatever. But these are things, which is why if your listeners are listening for something that they can be doing today, number one, Get a definitions manual worked out. Coding Clinic, fourth quarter, 2016, pages 147 to 149. Here, let me say it again. Coding Clinic, fourth quarter, 2016, pages 147 to 149, discusses that it is, it is compliant to negotiate the definitions of clinical terms, okay, with a payer up mm -hmm. front, okay, mm -hmm. and so that when clinical validation can be done correctly, mm -hmm. okay, and you need to pick five of them, sepsis, malnutrition, respiratory failure, acute tubular necrosis, you know, encephalopathy, whatever, you know, pick those. Functional quadriplegia, a complete immobility due to a severe physical disability or extreme frailty, which is how it's defined in the index. Mm -hmm. Those are things that can be done by your listeners, and, and that needs to be negotiated with the medical staff, approved by the MEC, and can be made part of contracting so that when the denial comes, okay, you have something that's been mutually agreed to. Well, I love that you mentioned contracting because I'm always talking about how we have no idea what's going on with the contract when it comes to related to coding. Yes. Um, it is very crucial, and, and I'm glad you talked about it, that we are involved in those discussions and we understand you know if there's any special requirements for diagnoses you know how many charts are they going to be auditing um you know we have to stay on top of those things well just what the definition is mm -hmm. yeah what do you mean you know, by? yeah are we gonna if we're gonna use sepsis three well that's fine let's mutually agree on that correct okay and, and then weight the DRGs with sepsis 3 in mind. Don't weight yeah. the DRGs for sepsis 2 and then ding us when we use sepsis 2. Yeah. Okay? Because if you're going to require every sepsis patient to have an organ dysfunction, we need to be paid as if they had an organ dysfunction. Absolutely. Okay? I agree. And... and so I don't know, Sharon. It's it's just like anything. We're all trying to do our day job, you know, trying to still, you know, manage this. But it it goes back again to the relationship, yeah, you know, between the medical staff, you know, who I think every day they're trying to get up and do the right thing. Absolutely, okay? and the coder is trying to do their thing, and a husband and wife who can talk to each other, share each other's weaknesses without shaming or beating up each other, you know, who can mutually enhance each other, 
sets mm-hmm. the best environment for the for the children. Well, you know, less people are getting married now, Dr. Kennedy. You see it right too bad that's too bad because that it is that you know and for those of us who've gone through a divorce we know that that's probably the worst thing that the worst pain you've ever felt mm-hmm. uh, but but if done correctly you know with the proper training the proper whatever then you can mutually enhance each other with in our weaknesses without being passive-aggressive shaming you know of Absolutely. each other and that, in my mind, is high-functioning CDI, right? Where there's a a recognition of the different different roles, but equal responsibility, mm-hmm. and a mutual enhancement of each other, building systems that mm-hmm. that increase the time efficiency, you know, of this work, and um, and and uh, the time efficiency, and then uh, the data comes out right, the numbers look good, uh, CDI is involved reputation, uh, referrals, reimbursement, that's the three R's. If you get CDI right, your three R's are right, mm-hmm. and, and uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Well, I do hope that lots of, you know, the physician advisors out there, uh, I know we have the American College of Physician Advisors, um, they'll probably be tuning into this, lots of coders, lots of CDI, you made some very good points. Do you have a presentation or anything coming up, Dr. Kennedy, that you're doing with anyone or that you're doing yourself where you're talking about any of this in uh, some more detail and where they can get some graphical well, and I'd like to invite your listeners, Sharon, and I thank you so again so much for the privilege of speaking with you. Uh, if you would all want to go to my website, uh, cdimd.com, cdimd.com, I invite you. We have a graphic of the seven Ds. Oh, great. Uh, so I know that we're kind of showing this, but if we want to, uh, if I can sh- um if I can um, uh, show uh, here, let me share my screen, okay? But what I'd like to be able to share, if I could just show your listeners, you know, this is my website. Uh, we do have a resource page, you know, with all the industry standards, the HEMA practice briefs, you know, and this sort of thing, the, uh, you know, definitions. Uh, various mappings, you know, type things. I'd, I'd just like to offer that to your... Um, well, it looks you know, great, Dr. Kennedy. I know we're on the podcast. I don't think they'll be able to see this, but I would highly recommend you guys go to cdi.md.com. Um, Dr. Kennedy has put so much work into this site, and um, I've known it's been out here, gosh, I guess for a few years now, Dr. Kennedy, yeah. right? But yeah. it's just grown so much, and now I see your little 7Ds out there. Um, it gives This gives you a good foundation, and he's educating you on the things that are going to be important now and going in to probably now until years to come. Because we're in the the middle of change. Um, You know, the DRG system is not going to be the DRG system of today. Uh, So we've just definitely got to begin to prepare ourselves and learn about all these other aspects related to looking at the patient in the aspect of severity, quality, and cost. You know, what does it take to take care of this patient? And... Do you have those diagnoses there to support that? Yep. Well, thank so, you so Sharon, much. if you want to share your screen again uh, so that we can see your um, see your uh, uh, see what you're doing, but um, I just mm-hmm. want to offer that to you as a um, that and Sharon, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think this has been great today. I really appreciate you taking time. Just to spend with me today, you know, it's so interesting that I, I think you're 
And I meet a lot of physician advisors that are those people that we talked about today that are, you know, bi-directional. And I can think of Dr. Gold. I'm, I've had emailed him, you know, just we would email back and forth. And I needed him to come do a presentation for our state. And we, of course, had no money. <laughs> and he came all the way to do our presentation for us free. Um, so developing these relationships with people can definitely change your life and bring lots of information to others. So thank you so much, Dr. Kennedy, for being here today. I really okay. appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. And um, any final thoughts you want to leave for your listeners? Well, just stay tuned for our next Doc Box podcast. Um, we'll have more information and we'll continue to empower you with information. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, y'all. You've been listening to Doc Bites.